Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. If I haven't met you, my name is Scott Doby. I'm a military chaplain. I've been doing that now for uh, longer than I want to admit. And uh, yes, this is my real hair, and these are my real teeth. I know I look old. These bags underneath my eyes are real. But you know what? You get one bag over here, but you don't have a symmetrical bag over here. So I'm still working on that. Uh, I can say I'm well read that I read a lot. So that's the reason why my, the bags look like that. But you, know, you probably wouldn't believe that. And this is church. So let's read from the perfect word of the Lord. Uh, John chapter 18, reading verses 33 through 38, which states this. I'm reading from an NIV text. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priest who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Question mark. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. Notice Pilate's words. You're a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you're right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Notice Pilate's words. These words still ring out today, right at some 2,000 years later. What is truth? Out of all the things Pilate could have said, Pilate said, what is truth? We live in a world today where people say there is no such thing as truth. It's only your opinion your point of view. There's no such thing as truth. There's no such thing as a right or wrong. It's just your opinion. There are no right or wrongs. There's no good or evil. It's just your choice. It was amazing here, and we're coming up on 10 years of 9-11, that someone, a reporter, asked President George W. Bush why somebody would do what they did at the World Trade Center, which was the murder of 3,000 innocent people. Keep in mind, that was not a military target. That's not a military target. The Pentagon was a military target. That was the murder of 3,000 innocent people. And they asked him, why would somebody do that? And the president, in such a way as he does with his extreme candor, said it was evil. And you know how they responded to him? They snickered at him. They laughed at him. Because they said there's no such thing as evil. There's no such thing as good or evil. And they snickered at the president. Same people tell you once again that there is no such thing as the truth. It's just your opinion. It's just your opinion. Has anybody watched Oprah change over the past couple of years? Used to be the most powerful woman on the planet. We could get on her television station, state A, B, C, and D. And now, before she starts her show, she breaks out three candles, lights three candles, and then she acknowledges a higher power. She went from sitting in a church, ever 
every Sunday, hearing the unadulterated, the pure, perfect word of God, to now. But see, today, if you say there is something that is definitive or that this or this or that or this is God, then you're mocked at. Oh, you're just closed-minded. You're a bigot. Hmm. Church, you need to realize that life revolves around a few basic principles. There's the principle of gravity. If I jump off that platform, I will fall. Gravity, if it's a principle, it is a principle anywhere on the globe. Wouldn't you agree? So when I step outside of this door, gravity still works quite well. Wouldn't you agree? Sure, it's a principle. If it's the truth inside this building, then thus, comma, it's the truth outside this building. It's the truth on the other side of the planet. No matter where you're at, it's still the truth. Please join me in Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. My goal this morning is for us to look at the truth. Look at the truth. Luke chapter 16, reading verses 1 through 31. We'll move paragraph by paragraph through this. Luke chapter 16, which states this. Church, the truth is as follows. The truth is, number one, we are warned to make plans for the future. The truth is, number one, we are warned to make plans for the future, reading verses 1 through 2 and stopping at 2. Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The truth is, number one, we're warned to make plans for the future. Jesus is teaching another one of his famous parables, and the main character is the manager. Jesus is teaching this parable as a warning for his disciples to make plans for the future. Verse 2, the key phrase is, give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The shrewd manager is warned to make plans for the future because, number one, He was accused of wasting the rich man's possessions. And number two, because he cannot be manager any longer. In other words, he's busted. In other words, he has his two-week notice in hand. Think about that. Take note that the context of the parable is to warn people to make plans for the future. In other words, there's something more than what you're doing just today. It's out there. It's not the fact that everyone is a poor manager, but that everyone should be warned that they should make plans for the future. Let me say that again. It's not the fact that you're a good manager or a bad manager, but it's the fact that you have got to make plans for the future. Considers Jesus' teaching and his many other parables that he taught, and he always concluded with the famous phrase, he who has ears to hear... Let him hear. Because it's one thing to do lip service. Uh Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. The north and south. It's another thing to have ears to hear and put it in application, to do something with it. Jesus did not just walk around just to hear himself talk, did he? He walked around and proclaimed the gospel. 
The truth is, number one, we're warned to make plans for the future. The truth is, number two, we have to take action on our plans for the future. It's more than just coming up with a plan. Oh, good gracious, we've got to do something with it. Verses 3 through 7, verses 3 through 7 state this. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of the master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it into 400. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it into 800. The truth is, number two, we have to take action on our plans for the future. The shrewd manager was a steward who handled all the business affairs of the owner. He was a manager, if you will. And he has been given his notice of termination. In other words, you're on your way out the door. The shrewd manager said, what shall I do now? Verse 3. Notice it's more than just woes me. He did something. Verses 5 through 7. The shrewd manager takes action for the future by discounting the debts owed to his master in order to obligate the debtors to himself. In other words, he was cooking the books. Okay, the shrewd manager used the means at his disposal to plan for his future well-being. He not only listened to the warning, but he did something about it. He not only listened to a warning, he did something about it. He took action on his plans for the future. The shrewd manager is in the middle of a crisis like so many human beings throughout history. He received a wake-up call and he did something about it. The boss was auditing the books, if you will. Remember this, no matter who you are, how much money you got, how much strength you've got, how much bank accounts you've got, how many friends you've got, the future will always belong to the person who takes initiative. Pardon the foul language, initiative, work, odd words today in our culture. The truth is, number two, we have to take action on our plans for the future. The truth is, number three, even the dishonest are commended for taking action for the future. Now think about that. Even the dishonest are commended for taking action for the future. Reading verses 8 through 9. Verses 8 through 9. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. That's a wake-up call there, wouldn't you think? I'm going to read that again. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, if you would please jump to verses 16 through 17. Verses 16 through 17, continue with our theme, if you will. Even though your caption probably reads additional teachings, the theme flows. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached, and everyone is forcing his way into it. They're forcing their way into it. 
It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. The truth is, number three, even the dishonest are commended for taking action for the future. This is a large amount of theology for just a few short verses. In verses 8 through 9, the Lord Jesus did not recommend this, or pardon me, the Lord Jesus did not commend the steward for unethical actions. Jesus commended him for his wise use of his opportunities. Notice that verse 8 again. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. The steward was able to make up most of his, make the most of his situation. He responded properly to the insights that came to him in a crisis. Not saying they were right, but he responded. He did something. In verses 16 through 17, the phrase, the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. When Jesus preached, who showed up? Tax collectors, sinners, anybody with a disease, anybody who needed a healing. And in that day, if someone thought you had a disease or a sickness, it was because you were sinning in that context. And they believe that you're being punished of God. But they're sinners. But guess what's happening? They're repenting. And they're entering in. This phrase, the kingdom of God, is being preached. And everyone is forcing his way into it. This phrase has been disputed between theologians. But if we keep with our theme, it probably speaks of the fierce earnestness with which people were responding to the gospel. They're responding. They're responding. I'll never forget when I became a Christian at 23, somebody told me the good news. My neighbor kept inviting me to church. And every time that door was open after that, I would kick my, the door open to get in because somebody told me the good news. I was finally getting some answers in my life that I needed. Church, this morning... Take note that even the dishonest are commended for taking action for the future. Consider the thief being crucified by Jesus who stated, When you're in your kingdom, remember me. When you're in your kingdom, remember me. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, Today you will be with me in in paradise. Luke chapter 23, verse 43. Pardon me? Let me insult your intelligence a moment. How many crosses were there on Golgotha that day? How many people were there? Our Lord and Savior was there. One thief looks at Jesus and says, Remember me, please. What does the other thief do? Literally sneers at him, mocks him. If you're the Christ, get us down from here. You realize if he got him down from there and both of them came down from there, they wouldn't have been saved. But even the thief was commended. He said, I'll tell you the truth. Today, you will be with me in paradise. What if the thief just sat there? Pardon the phrase. Obviously, he's hanging there. And he is slowly dying of asphyxiation because that's what... That's what um, Roman crucifixion would do. Uh, the nails would go through your feet and or your, depending upon where they put them in, then your hands, and you are slowly choking to death. 
you're slowly choking to death, depending upon who you are and how strong you are, how long you can survive. Horrible, horrible death. Everybody's dying there. Jesus is dying. The thief who's sneering is dying. And the thief who looked to Jesus and said, he's dying. And yet, Jesus, when you're in your kingdom, remember me. How many people are dying today? In fact, if you look around, all of us are dying. But see, the difference is, how do you respond to Jesus? Do you sit on or in the chair and come in and just experience a ritual? Well, I'm in a building. The building can't save you. Think about that. That's what happens when you get out of the chair and you come to Christ and you join him in paradise. The truth is, number three, even the dishonest are commended for taking actions for the future. The truth is, number four, how we manage is how we're rewarded. The truth is, number four, how we manage is how we're rewarded for the future. Reading verses 10 through 14, if my voice starts to crack, just be patient with me. I've had a head cold for about a week. Reading verses 10 through 14, and then we'll jump to verse 18. 10 through 14 states this, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true witches? If you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Question mark. No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then please jump with me to verse... Um, we will be moving now down into verse 18. When you read verse 18, it's about divorce. And at first blush or first glance, as you read it, you think, well, this is out of place. This is out of context. Not necessarily. It keeps with the theme. Verse 18... Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery, and the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. You say to yourself, what's up with that? that how, now we're talking about divorce. Hang with the theme here. The truth is, number four, how we manage is how we are rewarded for the future. Consider Jesus' words about, if the person had not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust, worth, trust the person with true riches, verse 11. Jesus continues on with the famous phrase, you cannot serve both God and money, verse 13. The theme of this passage is how we manage is how we are rewarded. Now let's say this. Let's say you have absolutely nothing but your breath. You don't have to be Donald Trump or whoever, but you're the thief on the cross. What are you doing with your breath and your words? You can A, hurl insults at the Christ, or you can B, acknowledge him as Lord. A lot of power to that in there. You may say, well, I'm retired. I have nothing. I'm a teenager. I have nothing. I'm just a kid. I'm just this. I'm just that. You have words. You have breath. You have life. What are you doing with it? The theme of this passage is how we manage is how we are rewarded. What, allow, what we allow to guide our lives is how we are rewarded. We will either allow God to guide us 
or the love of money to guide us. Keeping in mind that the property here is somebody else's, verse 12. Presumably, it's God's as a um, parable. Notice the parable's words. Look at verses 11 and 12 again, not to insult your intelligence. but So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Question mark. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? And even though the, there's a brief, brief verse here in verse 18 is about divorce, and we think that it's added to the chapter, it seems to be totally out of context here. And yet the thing continues on about taking action for the future because at this time in history, men were divorcing their wives for any reason they could come up with and walking away with it, writing a lady's certificate of divorce and kicking her to the curb. If you were a lady at this time in history, you were a horrible third world citizen. You didn't stand a chance. And if you burnt the bread that evening, you could be kicked. You could be abused. You could be written a certificate of divorce for any reason. Just note that in Matthew 19. And if you think it's bad being a woman, can you imagine being a child? You were nothing in the world if you were a child. And if you were a female child, horrible. But what Christ is trying to nail down a point here, and that is, but Jesus is reminding them that he who divorces or remarries commits adultery. Christ continues with this theme of taking action for the future, and he even extends it to marriage. Why? Because in this day, you could kick your spouse to the curb for any reason whatsoever and get away with it. Christ continues with the theme of taking action for the future and extends it to marriage so that the people will take their marriage seriously and consider the future ramifications. True divorce is a forgivable sin. But Jesus is trying to get them and the people to consider the ramifications of what you do with what you have today. Think about that. The truth is, number four, how we manage is how we are rewarded for the future. Does that make sense? What I do with my job, whether it be on the military side of the house or the civilian side of the house, how we run our home, how I treat my wife, is how I'm going to be rewarded. Honor God, God will honor you. Honor your spouse, your spouse will honor you. The truth is number five. Death is the reason why we should take action for the future. The truth is, number five, death is the reason why we should take action for the future. Look at verses 19 through 22. Verses 19 through 22. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. The truth is, number five, death is a reason why we should take action for the future. Brother and sister and Lord, can I tell you something very encouraging this morning? You're going to die. Just that simple. Isn't that encouraging? Doesn't that give you a really nice, good, warm, and fuzzy? 
Jesus now shifts his teaching from that of the parable with ramifications to reality, to that of the account of the rich man and Lazarus. This account of the rich man and Lazarus is not a parable, and this is not Jesus' friend Lazarus that we read about in John chapter 11. Totally different Lazarus, not a parable. If you want to argue with me, it's a parable, and this is, that's fine. still irrelevant because the principle is true. Jesus is teaching his disciples about the reality of death and that there are ramifications for taking action for the future. Jesus teaches his disciples of, Jesus is teaching his disciples of both men dying. Now think about this. Both men died. A wealthy man and a very, 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 very poor man. Now, in the context of this day, and I know you don't believe this would even happen today, but these people believe that if you were a very, very wealthy person in that day, that you were blessed of God, and your wealth came from God, and God blessed you because you were a good person. And if you were poor, it's because you had done something sinful. Sort of like people who preach on TV today said, well, if you have enough faith... You've got a 10,000-square-foot home. You've got the Maserati, the BMW, the Lamborghini, every other kind of word you can't really pronounce, nor pay the property tax on that in the state of Missouri. Uh, see, that sinful thing was still going on back then. That's really nothing new. It's just that the toys have changed here a little bit. So Jesus is telling them that, hey, guess what? He had money, but he still died. The beggar that being Lazarus, he died. The rich man also died, verse 22. Church, death is inevitable. Everyone is going to die. True, there will be a generation that will be raptured from the earth and caught up in heaven, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Yes, there's a generation that will be raptured. And, of course, we hope we're it. I know I do. I'd like to pass on death if that's possible. You know. Christ is trying to explain to his disciples that death is the reason why we should be taking action for the future. <clears throat> Man is destined once to die, and after that, judgment. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. Man is destined once to die, and then after that, judgment. Why do you think Jesus is teaching on death now and hell? Think about the Old Testament. If you lived in history at this time and you had no TV, you had no radio, you had no iPod, iPad, i this, i, 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 you had a wee, wee, wee as we sat around at night. And as we did that, you sat around at night and you listened to the rabbi teach. Or if you were privileged enough to go to the gate, hear them teach. And what was taught? Old Testament passed down through oral tradition or if somebody was blessed enough and you lived in a town big enough they would break out the Torah the scroll and if somebody could read which is very rare and paper or, or papyrus was very expensive in that day you'd be read to and you'd pass down so they taught the Old Testament what's in the Old Testament think about how many times hell or there's explanations in the Old Testament of what hell is like not a lot there is there nor of Satan. There's not a lot there of hell or Satan or these things. So what Jesus is doing is Jesus is kind of filling them in. And he's telling them, hey, you're going to die. It's going to happen. So keep with that thought as we move into number six. The truth is number five. Death is a reason why we should take action for the future. The truth is number six. 
agony and separation are the result for not taking action for the future. Agony and separation are the result. Now let's read verses 20 through to 26. Reading verses 22 through 26. Now keep in mind what he's doing. He is teaching people what hell is like. In fact, in their day, they had a word called, for the afterlife, Sheol. Sheol. So now Christ is teaching. In hell, verse 23, in hell where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Vivid imagery. This is where your imagery of people preaching hellfire and brimstone would have came from decades ago or a century ago. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm, or a gulf, has been fixed so that you, so that those who want to go from here to there cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. From there to us. The truth is, number six, agony and separation are the results for not taking action for the future. Let me say that it's not my goal to teach hellfire and brimstone as a manipulation technique to scare people. That was done decades ago. It worked for some churches. Some churches it did not. It's not my goal to manipulate anyway. It's my goal to teach scripture in its context. It's my goal to tell the truth. It's my goal to tell the truth. Many people say that hell does not exist and that a loving God would never send anybody to hell. Brother and sister Lord, hell does exist. Our Lord and Savior is telling you that it does exist. It did not turn 65 and move to South Florida. It has not gone away. Do you get that? It's not gone away. Nor has heaven gone away. And I don't care what they tell you in Washington, D.C. Jesus Christ is alive and well. He lives within us. Jesus tells us that hell is a place of torment, verse 23, a place of agony and in the fire, verse 24, a place of separation from believers. Brother and sister Lord, does it burn in hell? Yes, it does. But you know what hell truly is? Take one second. Think about a relationship that you have, that you treasure. Okay? Think about a relationship that you have that you truly treasure. Multiply that times 10,000. That's your relationship with Christ, Father God. Now take that away. That's hell. That's hell. Because that's separation from the unconditional love and acceptance of your Lord and Savior. Now that's true hell. Have you ever been all alone? And there was nobody there to come and help you. And all you could do was just sit there in misery. That's hell. That's pure hell. Hell itself is thrown into a lake of fire in Revelation chapter 20 verse 14. Jesus tells the disciples that there are ramifications for not taking action for the future. In the NIV, the text, the word appears as hell, but it appears as a footnote at the bottom of the page. And it's original Greek word, 
Hades. Hades in this place, or rather Hades is a place in which the wicked dead go to wait a final judgment. Torment begins in Hades and is evident from the plight of the rich man, verses 22 through 28. But he had all the money. He had the big house. He had the cars. Now, obviously, the man didn't have a car, but you know what I mean. And you hear it on TV all the time as you're flipping through the channel. Oh, if you've got enough faith, garbage. Now, if you have a 10,000-square-foot home and you have a, a Porsche, Maserati, Lamborghini, Ferrari, congratulations, I want to go for a ride. <laughs> I want to go for a ride. Make no bones about it. I like cars. come from a car family. But slow it down a little bit. Listen to what is being slung. And people can tell you all they want that there's no such thing as the truth. It's just your choice. There's no such thing as hell. There's no such thing as this or that. Think about this. In the church today, we have several different generations of people here. Church, how many movies and television shows have you seen to show that somebody is coming back from the dead, and they get another chance. How many times have you seen that? I mean, Hollywood loves to play with that theme. It's endless. The story is the same in every movie. The main character comes back, and when the main character does a good deed, a good deed, then he or she can go to heaven. About 12 years ago, there was a Western called, of all things, Purgatory. And in Purgatory, there was a city called Refuge. And in that were all the Old West people. You would have the context of Wyatt Earp, Buffalo Bill, Billy the Kid. And they were all waiting there for an opportunity to do a good deed. And then they could go to heaven. And then there's a big shootout. They put on their guns. The bad guys go kill the current bad guys and the former bad guys are now the good guys and they ride off into the sunset. Cute. Really cute. In fact, the guy driving the stagecoach comes up and he's in the stagecoach and they expect to be thrown into the hell because in the show it shows you people who did bad things and got thrown into the fire. And then there's that old guy up on top of there driving that stagecoach with that unique voice in the Western and says, Creator may be tough, but he ain't blind. Cute story, but it's fiction. It's a lie. It's a cute story. It's a story. And I don't know what the current movie is out now. I'm sure there's one. There's one for every generation. Hollywood plays with the theme every couple years. But yet, what did Jesus say? Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Verse 26. By the time I was 20, I had buried my mother to cancer and buried five friends to drugs and alcohol, and I abused alcohol myself till I quit cold turkey one day, but a couple months before I became a Christian. I have not had a drop of alcohol in, oh my gosh, 20 years or something. I mean, you know, 
but I saw a lot of young men die, you know. You're not crossing that gulf, that chasm, and coming back. Today's the day you make your choices. Take notice of Christ's statement. No one can cross over or through the chasm, verse 26. The truth is, number six, agony and separation are the results for not taking action for the future. You may call it hellfire and brimstone. You call it what you want. I call it the unadulterated, perfect word of God. The truth is, number seven, if someone won't listen to Moses, then they won't listen to Jesus. The truth is, number seven, if they won't listen to Moses, they won't listen to Jesus. Finishing this chapter, verses 27 through 31, which state this. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced. Even if someone rises from the dead. Be patient with me. Let's go back to verse 28. Oh, pardon me, verse 29. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Listen to them. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. Who do we have today? We have Jesus. We have Pastor Terry. We have Pastor Diane. We have endless television stations. How many churches are in the greater St. Louis area? Thousands. Thousands. And how, do you, and how do people say it all the time? Well, if God was real and if God existed, he should tell me so. He has. Hebrews chapter 1. He sent his son to tell you. And he did. How many copies of Bibles are there now? Literally. It's unbelievable. The truth is, number seven, if someone won't listen to Moses... Then they won't listen to Jesus. The rich man asked for someone to warn his brothers so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Verse 27 and 28. In Jesus' teaching of the account of the rich man and Lazarus, Abraham says, verse 31, if they will not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This story may suggest that Lazarus was who the event revolved around. But could Jesus, think about this, could Jesus be using this account of the rich man Lazarus to imply that Jesus was speaking also of his own death and resurrection? Jesus said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Luke chapter 9, verse 22. If someone won't listen to Moses or the prophets or even believe the Bible, then their mind is closed. If a person's mind is closed and Scripture is rejected, no evidence, not even a resurrection, will make them acknowledge him. It didn't amazing how when Jesus was out walking and he was teaching, they kept asking him for another miracle, another miracle, another miracle, another miracle, another miracle. Do another miracle. Or they asked him some little snod comment like, 
Moses gave us manna in the desert. What are you going to give us? What kind of manipulative technique is that? As I conclude, allow me to sum up Jesus' words on taking action for the future of the truth. Brother and sister and Lord, if gravity works inside this building, it's a principle. Gravity works everywhere. If it's the truth inside this building, it's the truth everywhere. They can deny it all they want. I cannot tell you people say, hell doesn't exist. There's nothing after this life. One of my mentors back in 1988, I'll never forget it when I was studying to be a detective, he looked at me and he said, Scotty, there ain't nothing after this. You better enjoy it, brother. Let me assure you the truth tells you there is ample after this. And what you do today is how you're rewarded for tomorrow. What you do today is you surviving tomorrow. Who you share the unadulterated word of God with today is how they will hear. The truth is, number one, we are warned to make plans for the future. The truth is, number two, we have to take action on our plans for the future. The truth is, number three, even the dishonest are commended for taking action for the future. The truth is, number four, how we manage is how we're rewarded for the future. Consider Christ's parables of the menace, the talents. What you did with what you had today is how you are rewarded tomorrow. So when you get on the other side and you are looked in the eye and say, well done, good and faithful servant, then you are rewarded tomorrow with what you did today. And you may say, Scott, I'm a young person. Scott, I'm a retired person. Scott, I have nothing but the breath in my body. Then breathe and breathe the words to others. Breathe the words to others. Jesus, when you're in your kingdom, remember me. If you don't know what to say, Psalm 66, 16. For all you fear God, let me tell you what he's done for me. You may say, I don't have a television show. I don't have a church. I don't have this. I don't have that. If you got a testimony, you have got them one of the most powerful things on the planet. If you don't have a testimony, then when this service is over, come over and turn your life over to God and allow him to start your testimony. How we manage is how we're rewarded for the future. Number five, death is the reason why we should take action for the future. Death is the reason why we should take action for the future. Number six, agony and separation are the results of not taking action for the future. And the truth is, number seven, if someone's mind is closed, not even a resurrection will change them. Church, listen to my words this morning. And who am I? Man, I'm nobody. But I got breath and I got voice. There are many times in our lives when we need to be reassured that we're doing the right thing and that we are taking the right actions and we're taking actions for the future and what we're doing is not in vain. You come into this building today, you could have been anywhere today. You could have been anywhere. Hitting balls on that golf course, doing this, doing that, whatever. You could have been anywhere today. Your actions are not in vain if you have the relationship. Now, if you just got a ritual that you come into this building, you stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, peace be with you, peace be with you, you know. Stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down. I'll never forget one day in 1996, I was, I, I was um, 
rushing to get to the hospital to see a gentleman. This man was, had 29 and a half years in the military, active duty, about to retire, and they just told him he got pancreatic cancer, which meant he had four or five weeks to live. This man was the Army's expert on watercraft, and he sat on the third row of the chapel that I preached in every Sunday. People had the utmost respect for this guy. I'll never forget going into the hospital room with him. You know what he told me? He said, Chaplain, I have sat in military chapels for right at 30 years. 30 years from Vietnam until 96. And you know what he said? I've never asked Jesus into my heart. Will you pray with me? How many people go into churches every Sunday? Every Sunday. Our nation's full of them. They don't even preach the word. Get some cute stories or they believe so wrapped up in predestination that they've never asked Christ into their heart. Think about that. Take courage and comfort that you live as wise and not unwise. Take courage and comfort that you're making the most of every opportunity. Take courage and comfort that you understand what the Lord's will is. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As I close this service and as our altar workers come forward and join beside me, we're going to close our eyes and we're going to pray. If you're in this beautiful church today and you know the Lord, take comfort, take courage. But if you do not know the Lord as your personal Savior and you have not prayed and said the famous words, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then now would be the time I would start walking forward. There are these two altar workers up here that want to pray with you. I want to pray with you. I apologize. See you My sister is right up here as well. The truth is that Jesus is the Christ. And no matter what anybody else tells you, he's still the Christ, whether they're for him or against him. No matter what Washington, D.C. says, no matter what godless Europe says, he is still the Christ. Let's stop and pray. Find out for Lord God and say, for thou art the Christ, the Son of God, and everything else is a counterfeit. Lord, someone once said, for everything worthwhile exists, there exists a counterfeit. Lord, we live in a world of Western culture full of toys and games and distractions and all kinds of things that are nothing but pure, pure counterfeits. Father God, I ask that you move upon the hearts of the believers here today. And those who are yours, you know, Lord, encourage them, comfort them, let them use their voice in this world. Let their voice may be proclaimed. And Lord, if there's someone here today that does not know you as their Savior, allow them to come forward and allow them now to come forward and turn their life over to you. By the Lord, I praise you for the opportunity to share the truth in a world full of lies and manipulation. In a world full of just mass confusion. But you're there speaking truth and speaking peace. Lord, I also ask that you be with Pastor Terry and Pastor Diane this day. Bless and protect them. Refresh them and bring them back home to us in your perfect timing and your
And Lord, tomorrow as we're all out and about, back to our normal jobs and in our different places, as the people come by us so lost and so confused, allow us to share the truth with them. That is that Jesus is the Christ and he is the ultimate peace speaker, speaking peace. And Lord, for the ones who are hurting so well, I ask you to Resurrect the name of Jesus Christ.